Are you dreaming of visiting Switzerland? Planning a trip to Switzerland is very exciting, but it can also be overwhelming. How do you choose which of the many scenic cities, towns and villages to visit? Which mountaintop excursions should you take? And what's the best way to get around Switzerland? And of course, how much of the country can you realistically see within your time frame? If you've asked yourself any of these questions, this is the podcast for you. This is the Holidays to Switzerland travel podcast, and in each episode, your host Carolyn Schonefinger chats with Swiss travel experts to answer your most commonly asked questions, provide practical tips, and take you on a virtual visit to the most popular destinations, and of course some hidden gems, to help you plan your dream trip to Switzerland. And you'll hear plenty of conversations about Swiss cheese and chocolate too. Are you ready to plan your trip to Switzerland? Well, let's get started. Grüezi, welcome to the Holidays to Switzerland travel podcast. This is episode 40. Today, I'm welcoming back Andy Pilot from HelveticKitchen.com. Andy is a pastry chef and cookbook author, and she was the special guest on episode 31 of the podcast. In that episode, Andy shared her knowledge of Swiss cuisine and told us all the must-try dishes to order when we're visiting Switzerland. She had some fascinating stories to tell about the history of the different Swiss dishes, including fondue and raclette, as well as some very delicious desserts to try. I had such great feedback about what Andy had to share with us that I invited her back to talk about another topic she knows quite a lot about, Swiss drinks. And yes, she has published a book about Swiss drinks too. Swiss wine and beer are rarely seen outside of Switzerland, and Andy is going to tell us why that is. She's also got some great tips on where to see wine, beer and spirits being produced, and where you can go to try these drinks yourself. I can't think of anything better than enjoying a glass of Swiss wine at the top of a mountain summit whilst enjoying the peace and quiet around me. If you need quiet, please... You need Switzerland. Before I welcome Andy, I'd like to say a huge thank you to Switzerland Tourism, sponsors of the podcast. The Switzerland Tourism website, myswitzerland.com, is packed full of information about travelling in Switzerland, so be sure to check it out. Hi Andy, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, thank you so much for having me back. Now, for those listeners who haven't yet listened to the last episode that you were on, would you like to just give us a little bit of a brief background of how you came to be living in Switzerland? Of course, yeah. Um, so I was born and raised in Canada, but my mom is Swiss. I spent a lot of my childhood summers visiting my grandparents in Switzerland, and later I trained to be a pastry chef in Canada and came to Switzerland to get some work experience. I ended up meeting my husband and 10 years later, I'm still here. And now I write about uh, Swiss food and drinks and develop recipes, write cookbooks. And yeah, it's my favorite thing, talking uh, about Swiss food and drink and eating and drinking all of that great food. <laughs> yeah, well, I can see why. What a, what a great way to uh, be able to combine your passion with your, with your career and uh, yeah, with something so delicious as well. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Now, you mentioned that you're a pastry chef and you um, are obviously a very good cook because you've already published two books on Swiss food, but you've also published a book called Drink Like the Swiss. So I'm guessing that Swiss drinks are probably a favourite topic of yours too. Oh, absolutely. And I have to say, uh, for me, researching the Drink Like the Swiss book was definitely some of the most interesting uh interesting stuff that that I've researched and that I learned about and um, how so many of the the drinks are folded into the culture here in Switzerland. It's really a fascinating topic and one that I uh, hope more people get interested in and love to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, I'd love to hear some about some of those traditions um, as also um, to hear about the wine and, and the beer and the spirits um, as well as I think there might be some other uh, quite, uh, drinks that are quite unique to Switzerland. So how about we start with wine? Uh, what what have you got to tell us about Swiss wine? Absolutely, yeah. Wine is really interesting because uh, Swiss wine is excellent, but it's not really well known outside of Switzerland at all. And the reason is because only about 2% of the wine that's produced in Switzerland is is exported outside of Switzerland, and most of it just goes to Germany across the border. Um, and really what the Swiss are doing is hoarding their wine, keeping it for themselves to drink because it's really, really delicious. Um, and the most popular red grape variety here in Switzerland is Pinot Noir. Uh, in the German part, it's sometimes called Blau Burgunder. And that's what what Swiss are drinking when when it comes to a red wine. In Switzerland, that is usually a peppery, a fruity uh, red wine, and it's produced in many different parts of the country, especially in the Valais. Uh, as for white wine, Chasselas is the grape that is is the most popular, and this is also called Fondant, confusingly, in Switzerland. Um, many of the grape varieties have different names depending on the region, so it can be a little bit uh, confusing. Um, but this Chasselas fondant is what you are typically having if you have fondue or other other cheesy uh, Swiss dishes. And this is Switzerland's favorite white wine. Um, in Ticino, of course, the Italian part of Switzerland is also big wine producers. And there you're drinking Merlot. Uh, if you go to a grotto in Ticino, you have a cute little ceramic mug called a Boccalino. And that's how your wine will be served to you. And... Uh, Another of the most popular grapes grown here in Switzerland is Gamay. And in the Valleys in Switzerland, that is uh, blended with Pinot Noir. And you get another popular wine called Dole. That's a nice red, uh, very aromatic. It's very different depending on the producer, but that's always a good choice when you're here. Um, so those are really the big wines that you're going to see when you come to Switzerland, what the Swiss people are drinking themselves. And of course, what's really interesting, there are also some lesser known grape varieties that are indigenous to Switzerland, or that maybe come from nearby countries, but are produced right now uniquely in Switzerland. And you find lots of these in the Valais, which is the biggest wine producing region in the country. Um, there are whites like Aminier or Petit Arvin, those are worth uh, searching out. They also pair excellently with all of Switzerland's wonderful cheese dishes. And there's reds. Some of the big names are Cornelet or Humain Rouge, 
Uh, those are also from the Valleys. And yeah, these are some grapes. If you're in the region, definitely give them a try. They are uh, wonderful whites and reds there. Okay. So the, the Pinot Noir and the, the Chasselet, which you said are the two most popular, I guess they would be available in restaurants right across the country, whereas some of the other other lesser-known wines are only available when you're in that particular region where they're made. Typically, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are big producers in the Valais who are making things like Petit Arvin, so you can buy those throughout the country. But yeah, you'll definitely find Chasselet everywhere. You'll find the Pinot Noir, uh, yeah, probably in most restaurants throughout the country. Yeah. Okay. And if if someone is um is for instance um, staying in an apartment and they want to want to buy a bottle of wine to have with their dinner that they're cooking in their apartment, where where do they buy that? I mean, I know in Australia we just can go to the supermarket and 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 buy wine, but that's not um hasn't been a thing in Switzerland, has it? Or or is that about to change? Ah, uh, well, it just depends on the supermarket you go to, actually. So um, Switzerland has two main supermarket chains, one being the Migros and the other, the co-op. The Migros historically um, doesn't sell any alcohol. Um, It is potentially about to change in the next few years. But uh, yeah, and that was because their founder uh, sort of made a mandate that he didn't want to support the sale of of alcohol and cigarettes. And since its founding in the early part of the 20th century, they have never sold it. And sort of, yeah, I mean, Swiss people have accepted that and it's fine. Uh, but if they want to buy wine at a supermarket, then you would probably go to the co-op um, or even the Denner, which is another big Swiss uh, chain store that is owned by the Migros. And that's kind of where they they sell the wine. Um, you can definitely buy it there. And, uh, of course, if you're in a wine region, you'll have a a better selection, even at the, at the co-op or the big supermarkets, they'll sell some of the regional wine there. And, uh, yeah, but you should be able to find it. And the price point is very low. You can find great wines for around 10 francs. And, uh, yeah, it's one of the things that's not so expensive when you, uh, when you come to Switzerland, your bottled water is costing you four francs, but a good, an okay bottle of wine is costing you 10. So yeah. it's better to drink wine than water, maybe. <laughs> Interesting. I guess because Switzerland's such a mountainous country, uh, grapes aren't grown everywhere. So are there, are there particular regions where, where wine is grown? There are six distinct uh, winemaking regions in Switzerland. Um, they are the Valais in the south, Vaud, uh, Geneva, Ticino, the Italian part. Um, then there is the Three Lake region, which includes uh, Fribourg, Neuchâtel, and parts of, of Bern. And basically they lump the rest of German-speaking Switzerland together, and that will be like Schaffhausen, Thurgau have big wine-producing parts, parts of Canton Zurich, and uh, Graubünden has a has a big wine-producing section near Mayenfeld, sort of before you get up into the really mountainous part. Um, yeah, and in all of these places, you can find wineries to visit. There are usually beautiful, beautiful hikes and trails throughout the vineyards. Um, the most famous one is probably the region of Lavaux along Lake Geneva. Uh, There you even have a panorama train you can take through the vineyards. You can take 
uh, ride on a boat on the lake and and see the vineyards. It is just so beautiful. The terraces along there, and you can try wine at many parts there. And there's lots of independent tour companies who will take you through the vineyards there. And I recommend that a lot in in Switzerland to maybe if you're really interested in wine, really interested in visiting a wine region, it is worthwhile seeking out a tour because it's just a lot smaller than maybe what people are used to in other countries with big uh, wine wine production. And uh, sometimes the the very small wineries are closed or, you know, they're only open at certain times of day and a tour will help you avoid disappointment if there are places you really want to visit and, and wines you really want to taste. Mm, okay. So... Uh, if if you're traveling independently and you want to just go and and, and taste some wine from a local winery, are they mainly only open on on weekends, or is it something that you can do fairly easily, or do you really need to plan that in advance? I would say plan a little bit to avoid disappointment for sure. Like we have also been hiking in a region and and wanting to try wine, and then yeah, the 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 winery is just closed or. Um, you know, sometimes they also go there on holiday for a whole month or something. So it's just a good idea maybe to to look at the route, see the the wineries on the way and just have a quick look on their website to see if any closures are mentioned. Um, but surely the regions where the 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 wine is produced, all the vineyards, it's so beautiful to walk through there. You're always near a small town. So maybe even if the winery is closed, you can sample the wine in, in the small town that you walk through or things like mm, that, yeah. pick up a bottle. I, I know that uh, the Lavore vineyards that you mentioned, That's I've, I've seen them from the water and from the road or, you know, the, the main highway, but um, I'm really desperate to go and actually take that little train through the vineyards and, and see them. They're actually UNES- a UNESCO World Heritage Site, aren't they, which is yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. It's, it's beautiful. I even know a woman who hosts um, biking tours through through the vineyards there too, and, yeah, it's really really a lovely region to visit Mm, well that would be nice okay now we've we've covered a bit about wine what about um distilleries i think there's some um plenty of spirits being produced in switzerland too absolutely yes um of course probably the most famous swiss spirit and one that maybe people don't know originates in switzerland is um absinthe and this comes from the canton of Neuchâtel, particularly in a little valley called the Val de Travers. And uh, like in most parts of the world, it was banned for much of the 20th century. And they just started producing it again, sort of at the turn into the 21st century. And this region is really wonderful. If you're interested in absinthe, if you want to hear the, the history of the spirit, and they have a great museum um, in the town of Moitiers. Uh, it's all about the history of the Greedon Ferry, as this drink is known. Um, it was banned in many parts of the world, of course, also in this place where it originated. But uh, during the time that it was banned, the people who lived in this valley continued to make it. And there was a huge black market for absinthe. And um, in the museum, they do a really great job of showing the people who sort of kept it alive over uh, over all these decades and who made it on the sly and who smuggled bottles of it. And they have all these firsthand accounts of people talking about the stills that they were hiding in their house and trying to avoid the police when they came to give them fines or came to destroy the still, 
the stills. Um, and that, that makes that museum really, really excellent. And of course they have like a nice absinthe bar at the bottom. You can have a snack. They make, um, lots of great desserts, uh, with absinthe. Last time we were there, we had like a souffle with absinthe, which was just excellent. And you can try all the different kinds. Um, and there are great hiking paths in the region as well. You can hike around, uh, the Val de Traver. You can go from little town to little town and go to different distilleries. And, um, yeah, that's a really great, uh, sort of tourist destination if you're interested in absinthe. As for other, uh, spirits that are being produced in Switzerland, Swiss farmers kind of make spirits out of every possible fruit on the farm, um, as well as things like potatoes and hay in the mountains. They're making spirits from alpine herbs. You can even buy spirits made from Edelweiss, uh, of course, Switzerland's most famous flower. Uh, and that is really regional. So in the Valais, of course, they have many apricots, which are beloved throughout Switzerland. And they make a really wonderful apricot spirit. Um, they make spirits out of plums and, and Kirsch, I guess most people associate with Switzerland as well. Uh, surely for the famous Zuger Kirsch Torte, that's like a cake that's doused in, in lots of Kirsch, which is their cherry spirit. Um, and you also often put a little bit of Kirsch in a cheese fondue. Uh, mm. so, yeah. Well, tell me great. about the, the, um, spirit made with hay. That sounds fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they make it with fresh hay. It is from, I'm trying to think. It's a hotel in, uh, I wish I remembered the name. I think it's just called Hoi Schnapps. Hoi is the German word for hay. And uh, it has a great story with it. They found the recipe in this old hotel somewhere in Canton, Bern, but I can't remember the town. And um, yeah, they found this recipe for for distilling and and flavoring the, the spirit with hay. And then, yeah, they have this really great drink. I think it's just called Heuschnapps. I'll have to look that up and and let you know after. But yeah, that's a really good one. And and yeah, the Edelweiss too, I think, is so Swiss, you know, to have that. You mentioned that we can go and visit the Absinthe uh, Museum and, and do some tastings and so on there. What about with um, with other spirits? Because I know you mentioned um, schnapps with the, all the, the fruit-flavoured uh, spirits. You, they're readily available at, at restaurants um, after after you've eaten. But can you go um, to, to any of the farms and, and see the farmers making them or, or have a taste? Yeah, so there's lots of distilleries who are turning the fruit into spirits. They have usually a gr- great showrooms. They have shops attached to distilleries. Lots of them do tours on request. Um, my sister-in-law actually works for a distillery that's nearby in our region, uh, distillery Studer, and they, they make all the different kinds of, of fruit schnapps and you can visit their showroom. They, they, you can do tastings of all the, all the different spirits that they produce. Um, I think if you're more interested, because of course they're not always producing every day unless they're one of the really big distilleries um but most of them i think you could contact them and ask them for a tour ask them uh to take you around and see what exactly uh they're making and they're doing and they'll definitely give you tastings and usually have um beautiful displays of the history of uh of the company and the distillery and i can mention one 
the Turicum gin is produced in Zurich, and there they have uh, workshops where you can create your own gin. Um, so if you're in Zurich and you're interested in seeing how gin is made and creating sort of your own take on it, then uh, that's the place to go. Hmm. Okay. All right. So what about beer for the beer lovers that are listening? I think there's quite a um, an ever-growing craft beer scene in, in Switzerland. Yeah. Um, beer is really interesting. That's uh, one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite things to drink. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about the history first because I find it quite interesting. Um, so Switzerland, like many of the countries that surround it, like Germany, had a big brewing culture. Um, in the year 1890, Switzerland had about 500 domestic breweries, but by the year 1998, there were only 24 in the whole country. So what happened during the, the century there, um, it goes back to the Swiss Association of Brewers, which was founded in 1887, and uh, they sort of controlled the entire beer market for much of the 20th century. After the First World War, um, when the stock market collapsed, they lobbied for high tax on imported beer. So no imported beer was really getting into Switzerland. And they kind of worked as a cartel. They controlled everything from beer distribution, the size of bottles, the ingredients used, and all the different businesses that depended on selling beer, like restaurants, hotels, shops, supermarkets, they were forced into exclusive contracts um, with the breweries owned by this uh, cartel. Mm -hmm. Initially, this was meant to protect Swiss beer, um, but then it sort of backfired when there was no competition. The beer really suffered and got really bad. And then in the 1990s, the cartel collapsed, and then the market was just flooded with foreign beers and consumers finally had a choice and and bought these in, more innovative beers out from outside of Switzerland. Um, ironically, almost all of the cartel breweries um, were bought by foreign companies like Heineken and Carlsberg. So all of these big sort of seemingly historic Swiss brands like Feldschlossen and Kalanda and Eichhoff, they're all owned by huge international conglomerates. Um but fortunately, uh, lots of microbreweries sort of popped up in the meantime, uh, sort of at the beginning of the 2000s. This was, I mean, the whole beer world was seeing a trend in craft beer, having all these microbreweries making a lot of old uh, beers, really good beers. And today, Switzerland actually has the highest number of brewery to to person, to citizen. And there are a thousand different breweries in the country. Um, well, it'd take a while to get around and, and taste a beer from each of those then. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Swiss craft beer, it's still a really small part of the market. These big, big companies um, still dominate. But uh, my recommendation is always to, to see if you can find a regional beer, a local beer and uh, try that one out while you're here because they're really excellent ones. So what about other other drinks that are, are unique to Switzerland or produced in Switzerland? The Swiss drink a lot of mosht, which is like apple juice, apple cider. This is really popular, especially in the fall once the apple harvest has happened. Um, there is an apple cider museum you can visit 
in Arbonne. This is in northern Switzerland on Lake Constance. And it has a wonderful history of sort of apple juice and cider production um, in Switzerland. Um, this is really popular. It actually also goes back to some government initiatives uh, sort of in the middle of the 20th century when they were encouraging farmers uh, not to make alcoholic beverages uh, out of their apples. So they were asking them to make what's known here as susmosht or like sweet apple juice and sell this to people. And they were encouraging Swiss people to, to drink non-alcoholic drinks, to drink this, this mosht, this apple juice rather than drinking, um, uh, yeah, spirits, which would otherwise have been produced, um, possibly from the apples. Um, and yeah, but it's a little bit different sort of than the apple juice I know I was used to drinking in Canada as a child, which was just only sweet. Um, it's really delicious. It's often very tart and sour. And um, you can also get a Shorely, which is a drink where the apple juice is just mixed with with sparkling water. And so it's like carbonated apple juice, which is really excellent. I remember that was one of my favorite drinks uh, when I was a child visiting Switzerland. Um, so that's one popular thing. And you can actually also get a beer that's mixed with with apple and pear juice called a Bschorli. That's from one of the big beer producers, Appenzeller Beer. Um, and that's when, yeah, those two things are mixed. Uh, one of the other unique drinks to Switzerland, their most famous soda, I think I mentioned it in the last episode as well, is Rivella. Um, this is made with whey, which is a byproduct, byproduct of cheese production. Of course, it seems fitting that, that this milky, <laughs> that their soft drink is like milky. Uh, <laughs> um, and on average, the Swiss drink about 10 liters of Rivella per person per year, which is quite a lot. Um, it's definitely worth tasting. It tastes, I don't know how to describe it, a little bit like ginger ale, sort of, but um, people have told me it's really a a love or hate kind of kind of taste. You can find that at all your supermarkets, so you should um, check it out. Yeah, yeah. I, I've never tasted it, but I have to say just, I don't know, the sound of it kind of puts me off. Thinking of milk and, and a soft drink combined, it, it doesn't sound right. But yep. <laughs> you know, if, if, you're, if you say it's a bit ginger beerish, well, may, maybe I'll taste it next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely worth a taste. It maybe will surprise you with with what it's like. I guess if so many Swiss drink it, it must be okay. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, another drink that they really love, which might be surprising, is uh, iced tea, strangely. And they are the largest consumers of iced tea in Europe. And they drink around 30 liters per person per year. And comparing that to the next highest European drinkers of, of iced tea, who are the Belgium, Belgians, they only consume about 10 liters uh, per person per year. And I think some of that drive comes from uh, the Migros have their own brand iced tea that they made in the 70s, which has sort of become like a cult product. It's in blue bottles. You just go to a Migros supermarket and you see all these blue bottles that say iced tea on them. And that, yeah people all over the country just always drink this. I always also remember it as a child drinking it in Switzerland. Um, and now they make a whole bunch of different flavors of it. There's like green tea and alpine herbs and rhubarb and, and um, peach. Uh, but yeah, that's another one of the really popular drinks in Switzerland, maybe something to try uh, mm -hmm. in the summer to see if you like it. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, a couple of um, fairly quirky sort of drinks there. 
Now, you mentioned earlier about when you were researching for your book some of all the history and the traditions of of the drinking culture in Switzerland uh, fascinated you. So have you got any particular facts or things that you think are really interesting and worth sharing with us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd love to tell you about uh, one of my favourite liqueurs, which is made in the canton of Graubünden. Uh, It's called Rötelie. And it's made with dried cherries and spices. And they've been making it there since about the 19th century. Um, It's traditional to drink this drink on New Year's Eve. Um, In the olden days, uh, bachelors would go from farmhouse to farmhouse on New Year's Eve. And they would visit unmarried farmers' daughters. And at each farm, they would sample a glass of of rotelli that the single women sort of under the watchful eyes of their moms uh, had made to to serve to the bachelors who were coming. And uh, yeah, they kind of saw this drink as as a love potion. And sometimes the the visits would result in marriage proposals. Um, And humorously, sort of the further back in the valley the bachelors went, the drunker they got. And then the better looking, more appealing the daughters became, uh, (laughs) which kind of gave an advantage if you lived way back in the valley by the time they got there. uh, Everyone was feeling pretty friendly. Uh, Yeah, so it's sort of stories like this um, that I discovered uh, during the research that, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, so interesting. So what are your favourite of each of, of each of the drinks that we've talked about? So for, if you had to choose one wine, one spirit and one beer that you would recommend that any visitor tries, which, which ones would they be? Oh, what a great question. Um, so I think for a wine, I really like the, the wine Petit Arvine. This is uh, uh, one of the indigenous ones to the Valais the region in the south of Switzerland. And it's just a really nice, crisp, a little bit sweet uh, white wine. And it's lovely paired with with most cheese dishes. I like to serve that also with fondue um, when it's not too, too sweet. And uh, yeah, that for me is is one of my favorite wines to drink here. Also, if we have a, a little Apero, a little cocktail party, I like to serve to serve that. Um, for beer, I have to mention my favorite brewery in Switzerland is the Brasserie de Franche Montagne. That's for anyone who's interested in sour beers. Um, they've been making sour beers here in Switzerland. They're sort of the the grandfathers of of craft beer in Switzerland. They've been making beer since 1998, and uh, their beer was once voted by the New York Times the best beer in the world. One of the famous sours that they make, and uh, yeah, all of their beers are really interesting. They make some using uh, different ingredients like Lapsang Souchong, the tea, and and one year they made beer with gummy bears. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, they're usually barrel-aged and, and really excellent. And if you want a more um, sort of uh, commercially friendly beer or something, the beer's from White Frontier, which is a new brewery. Um, that's in the Valais. These are where you get your your IPAs and and sort of lots of different craft beers. So that's another one you can buy them at the co-op as well. And uh, that would be another another choice, sort of for easy drinking. Uh, the brewery White Frontier, and for spirits, um, 
Yeah, I just love all of the the fruit schnapps. I think they don't get quite enough love um, in Switzerland or abroad. Um, right now, there's there's was sort of a trend, you know, towards gins and different rums and vodkas, all these kind of drinks. Um, but the the Swiss fruit spirits like apricot. Uh, plum, cherry. It's such a nice thing to have at the end of a meal, sort of a little shot of that. And um, you can use them really easily in in your mixed drinks as well, which I I write about in my book, sort of uh, replacing maybe where you would put vodka or or different uh, schnapps in a in a drink, putting these these fruit ones there instead. So really, that my other favorite thing, yeah, is to end a meal with with a little bit of apricotine or or uh or a kirsch at the end Mm, good idea (laughs) uh so what about festivals um i guess there there's probably fest festivals held at the time of um the the harvest for the wine but are there beer festivals as well yeah um some of the biggest ones uh of course yeah there's huge number of wine festivals fete de vendage throughout the uh the French speaking part uh, of Switzerland in the fall. And uh, there are smaller beer festivals. There's lots of craft beer festivals at the moment. You can just have a look and find them um, in, in most of the big cities. They have some, some craft beer festivals where lots of these microbreweries uh, come. And my favorite festival of the year is a sour beer festival that is held at this um, Brasserie de Franche Montagne brewery. And they have really great breweries from all over Europe and even the North America uh, coming there to show off their beer. Some of the biggest sour beer producers in the world, like Cantillon and, and Lover Beer and places like this, they go to this tiny little town in, in the Jura in Switzerland and everybody, yeah, drinks a lot of beer. It's really wonderful. <laughs> Great. So what about um, etiquette when you're sharing, if you're having a meal or you're you're sharing a drink with someone in a restaurant or at a bar, what's the etiquette when it comes to to drinking? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, In Switzerland, it's really important uh, that everyone at the table has their wine and cheers cheerses before any wine is consumed. It's a huge faux pas if you drink from your glass before you've cheersed. Um, And also when you're cheersing, it's expected that you're looking directly in the eyes of the person you're cheersing and saying their name. Um, So this of course leads to a lot of, uh, it can lead to um, moments at parties where you've maybe forgotten the names of all the people you've met and you're struggling a little bit. Um, But yeah, and, and of course saying cheers in German Prost or or santé in French. So, um, that would be quite funny if you're at a table with 10 people and everyone had to cheers and, and say every person's name. It could take a while. You, you might be quite thirsty by the time you actually got to, to sip your drink. Oh, absolutely. Yes. With my in-laws at, at Christmas and things like that, people are up, they're walking around the table, they're cheers, and it, it's quite a production. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like fun, though. Well, thank you, Andy, for sharing all that. Uh, really interesting information with us. Now, where can people buy not only your book, Drink Like the Swiss, but your other books? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're in Switzerland, they're available in most in sh- most shops here in the English section or the Swiss interest section. Um, you can also get them online directly from the publisher Bergley, or they're available on the book depository on Amazon and from most uh, online booksellers. And yeah. Wonderful. Well, I'll link to all those websites that you've mentioned, as well as your own website, Helvetic Kitchen, uh, in the show notes for this episode. And I'll also include a list of um, the different wine and beer and and spirit varieties that you've mentioned and, and some of the different breweries and the different places so that people, if they're interested, can can go and look them up and, and plan a visit to them whilst, whilst they're in Switzerland. Super. Yeah. Thanks again for having me also. It's been wonderful to to talk a little bit about Swiss drinks. Thank you again. There's certainly a lot to discover and to taste when it comes to Swiss drinks. I never would have imagined the Swiss to be Europe's largest consumers of iced tea. If you missed hearing Andy chat about Swiss cuisine, make sure you listen to episode 31 of the podcast. It's an episode you don't want to miss. As I mentioned, I'll include links to the local producers and Andy talked about in the show notes, so you can include a visit when you're in Switzerland. You can find those show notes at holidaystoswitzerland.com forward slash episode 40. A couple of other interesting places to visit include the smallest winery in Europe, which is owned by none other than the Dalai Lama. The winery is located in Sayon in the Valais region and all proceeds from the wine sales go towards helping disadvantaged children. The history of the winery is linked with the Swiss version of Robin Hood, Faranay. The vines, of which there are only three, produce Pinot Noir and Chasselet. There's an interesting trail in Sayon which features a series of stained glass windows depicting Faranay's philosophy of life and leads up to the winery. So that's something definitely to check out. Beer lovers should visit Switzerland's oldest brewery, the Brauerei Schutzengarten in St. Gallen. It opened back in 1779 and is still operating at its original site. Tours of the factory are available, although they are mostly in German. And there's an interesting beer bottle museum where you can see more than 3,000 beer bottles from 260 different Swiss breweries. You can also visit Switzerland's highest brewery, Beer Vision Monstein, at Monstein in the canton of Graubunden. Located at 1,625 metres above sea level, the brewery calls itself the last beer stop before heaven, and it produces around 300,000 litres of beer each year. Whatever your drink of choice, whether it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic, there are certainly plenty of great options in Switzerland. But please remember to drink responsibly. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on your favourite podcast app. You can also subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And if you have friends planning a visit to Switzerland, I'd love it if you told them about the podcast too. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, cheers. If you'd like more great resources to help you plan your dream trip to Switzerland, there are lots of ways to connect with us. Visit our website, holidays holidaystoswitzerland.com, sign up for our monthly newsletter, 
or join our friendly, helpful community of past and future travellers in our Switzerland travel planning group. You'll also find the links to connect with us in the show notes for this episode. Show notes and a list of all previous episodes are available at holidaystoswitzerland.com slash podcast. Don't miss out on your fortnightly dose of Swiss travel inspo. Hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating. That's all for this edition of the Holidays to Switzerland Travel Podcast. Thanks for joining us and happy travel planning.